Once my soul was astray from the heavenly way. I was wretched and vile as could be, but my Savior in love gave me peace from above when He reached down His hand for me. I was nearing despair when He came to me there. And He showed me that I could be free. Then He lifted my feet, gave me gladness complete when He reached down His hand for me. When the Savior reached down for me, when He reached way down for me, I was lost and undone without God or His Son when He reached way down for me. How my heart does rejoice when I hear His sweet voice. In the tempest to Him I then cling, there to lean on His arm, stay secure from a harm when He reached way down for me. When the Savior reached down for me, when He reached way down for me, I was lost and undone without God or His Son when He reached way down for me. When He reached down His hand for me. Aren't you glad he reached down, amen? amen. That's for sure, because there's no way in the world we could have ever reached up. Yeah, no way in the world. Well, take your Bible, turn over to the book of Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles chapter 25 tonight. Second Chronicles chapter 25, we're going to read the first couple of verses, just one and two there, and we'll kind of move from there, but Second Chronicles chapter 25. Bless you, brother. That was sounding amazing. <laughs> Leave it to our teenagers. I'll tell you what. Isn't that wonderful? All right, Chase, you're next, right? No. Chase came in second yesterday in a big tournament. And it was a wrestling tournament, and that's good. That I could take it. All right, Second Chronicles chapter 25, verse 1. Amaziah was twenty and five years old when he began to reign. And he reigned twenty and nine years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoiadan of Jerusalem. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a perfect heart. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a perfect heart. Now that's, that's an amazing commentary on the life of Amaziah, isn't it? It's really an amazing commentary. This is the king of Judah. How is it possible? How can that be? Again, he simply says here in verse 2, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a perfect heart. Now, the books of First and Second Chronicles mirror the books of First and Second Kings, basically. And again, the books of First and Second Kings, they share the times of the kings and the kingdom from basically an earthly perspective, if you will. The Chronicles, on the other hand, seem to chronicle what's taking place on earth from a heavenly perspective. And so we have here a heavenly perspective of the life of Amaziah. Now, if we would take the time to look at the kings, we'll see that there's another commentary here. Notice, if you would, in 2 Kings 14, I think we will, verses 1 through 3. From the heavenly perspective, the Bible makes it very clear that this is a man that was king... 
And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but he didn't do it with a perfect heart. In the book of 2 Kings now, we see from the earthly perspective, and we note in chapter 14, verse 1, it says, In the second year of Joash, king of jo- uh, uh, son of Jehoiaz, king of Israel, reigned Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah. He was 20 and 5 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 20 and 9 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoiadan of Jerusalem. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, yet not like David his father. He did according to all things as Joash, his father, did. Now, there's a message right there, isn't there? And we're not going to take the time to address that message, but may I say today that as a father today, we have a tremendous responsibility when it comes to our children. We need to realize that those things which we have done and those ideals that we have embraced are often embraced and often even greater in a greater way by our children than even by us. We have to realize and recognize the influence that we have on our children. And I'll tell you what, the dad or, or even a mom that says, well, you know, I don't think what I've done is going to be that big a deal, and I don't think they're even aware of what I'm doing or thinking or saying. I want you to know that they are very, very aware of what's really going on. They see through the fake, and they see to the true you. And may I say that there's more that is caught than taught. And it is so important that as a parent we realize that our children will be more like us than probably we'll ever imagine. That can be a good thing. But in this case, it wasn't. It wasn't. In 2 Kings chapter 12, we learn about Amaziah's father. And Jehoash did that which was right in the sight of the Lord all the days wherein Jehoiada the priest instructed him. But the high places were not taken away the people still sacrificed and burnt incense in the high places. Again, Joash or Jehoash was his father, and it doesn't matter which one you call him. They're both the same name, or should I say, refer to the same person. And this particular king remained extremely faithful as long as this prophet, or as long as this priest was in place. But as soon as the priest died, this particular Joash reverted to idolatry, basically, or allowed these wicked things to take place in the kingdom. He allowed the high places to be left alone and the people to sacrifice burnt, uh, burnt offerings and incense on other altars that were not unto God. So those were things that took place in his ministry. And unfortunately, those are the very things that Amaziah embraced and allowed and permitted as well. He allowed the high places, the Bible says, to exist, to continue. In 2 Kings 14, 14, it speaks of Amaziah as well, saying, Howbeit the high places were not taken away, as yet the people did sacrifice and burn incense on the high places. That's exactly what happened with his father as well. The high places, of course, were elevated pieces of ground in which often it was used to worship idols. And uh, that, of course, was not something that God looked very fondly upon. As a matter of fact, it was an abomination. It was something that God would ultimately judge his people for. But we see that the sin of the father now became the sin of the son. And it says in our passage today, it says, He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a perfect heart. Now, that's perplexing to me. And I, I don't know about you, but that, that's unusual. That sounds crazy. You say, well, how is it possible to do right but not do it with the right heart? Well, I do think that the fact that he and his father even allowed or permitted the high places to exist could be the reason why the Bible says it that way. He did so many things right. He did the right things in so many ways, but yet he allowed or permitted these high places to exist. So I guess the passage would seem to indicate that it's possible to do right things without a perfect heart. And I think that it goes a little further to say that not only can we permit idolatry in our lives and do all the right things and yet allow that sin to have, take hold in our heart, I mean, we can still be going to church. We can still be reading our Bible. We can still be praying. We can still be doing all the things that we say are right in the sight of God. And they are indeed right in the sight of God. However, not with a perfect heart.
And so I, I don't know, and I think it might go even a little further, that maybe, just possibly, we're being warned not just about idolatry, but also concerning the danger of permitting known sin to exist in our lives or allowing it to hang around in our lives. Again, you know, I can't see your heart and you can't see mine. And I would look at these young men today and I would say, man, they are sharp-looking young fellas and, boy, they're faithful in church every time the doors are open and they're out on soul winning on Saturday mornings and, boy, I'll tell you what, they are they seem and uh, appear to be obedient to their mom and dad and, boy, they've got it all going. It seems like they are right in the sight of God. But in heaven, he's going, yes, but not with a perfect heart. That'd be sad. Is it possible today that where you sit right now Oh, man, you look the part, you act the part, you appear to be the part, but the reality is it's with out a perfect heart. There's some deep secret sin that you hold on to. There's something in your life you won't let go of, and you know it's there, but you won't do anything about it. Oh, I serve the Lord, preacher, and I'm faithful out there trying to win people to Christ, and I'm doing my very best to honor Christ with my life and my lips. I want, to, I want to ask the question from the heavenly perspective today, not from the earthly one, but the heavenly one. Can he say you're doing it with a perfect heart? I know in my own life I'd have to say that right there is, that's a rough one when God's looking at you. That's a tall order. It would seem then that we can be doing and saying all the right things, but as long as we turn a blind eye to sin or we choose to ignore areas within our control, we could be guilty of being right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a perfect heart. Then. Isn't that something? I want to take a moment tonight. I just want to look at this king, though. That, that's not even the message. I just want to look at the king a little bit. And I want to note three things about the king. Or I want to note some things about this king. I want to note the man himself. I want to consider the mistake. And then finally, I want to address the message. So let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll consider this man tonight. Father, we come to you. We need you. Bless us now, and thank you for these that have gathered. May our hearts be encouraged and stirred tonight. Lord, thank you for your blessed book, the Word of God. What a wonderful, wonderful blessing it is to have your Word in our possession today. Lord, there are those who have had to hide and copy and do all kinds of things to somehow keep a piece of your Word around or about them. Father, they have given all that they own to own just a piece of that book. Lord, today we are so blessed to have not only one, but often more than one book, the Word of God in our possession. Bless us now, Lord, and may we never take it for granted. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. First of all, consider the man. This Amaziah, yes, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but he did it. He didn't have a perfect heart. So what about this man? Well, I'll tell you some things about the man based on the scriptures. He was a laborer. This guy was a worker. In verse 5 of the passage, it simply says, Moreover, Amaziah gathered Judah together and made them captains over thousands and captains over hundreds, according to the houses of their fathers throughout all, the, of, uh, all Judah and Benjamin. And he numbered them from 20 years old and above and found them 300,000 choice men able to go forth to war and that could handle spear and shield. This guy was a, a laborer. He was a worker. You don't get this task accomplished. You don't perform the duties of a king without being a worker. A laborer, at least not according to this passage. Years ago, uh, uh, Dr. Cummins, the founder of Maslin Baptist Temple, um, we see that under his leadership, the church grew to over a thousand people. It was on a number of radio stations, and he wrote a number of pamphlets, tracts, and books. I asked him once, I, I asked him what the secret of his success in the ministry was. Dr. Cummins, you know, could you tell me what you believe to be the secret of your success? In the ministry, of course, he humbly stated that, of course, all the glory goes to God, and I certainly appreciate that. But he said, if there was one secret, one secret, it could be expressed in one simple four-letter word, he said. W-O-R-K. Work. 
work. And I remember him. He didn't say it. He spelled it. He literally said W-O-R-K. And, I, and as he mouthed it, I went, it's the same thing. He said exactly what I said. And he would say, work is the besetting sin of the ministry. He'd say, prayerlessness is the greatest sin of the ministry. But laziness is the besetting sin of the ministry. May I say that it seems to me that Amaziah was not a lazy man. He was a laborer. And the Bible teaches that as believers, we ought to have a reputation of being good laborers, hard workers. Ephesians 4.28 says, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor. Work with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to, good, uh, to give to him that needeth. Isn't that interesting that God wants you to work so that you can give to somebody that needs it? Isn't that interesting? Oh, well, you know, I work to provide for my family. Oh, you ought to be working so you can give to somebody that don't have it. So the Bible just taught. Isn't that an interesting concept, sharing? I think Jesus came up with that concept, though. If I believe correctly, if I'm not wrong, if I'm right somehow, I've got to believe that God gave His only begotten Son, that He shared with us this perfect and wonderful salvation that we now possess. And he says to us, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the things which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor, your labor, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Boy, there's something about work and the believer. It is a tragedy it is a travesty. It is a horrible thing when a child of God, a believer, is lazy. And I don't just mean in the ministry. I'm talking about in your life as a father, as a provider, as a person. You ought to be the most, most wonderful employee that you, your boss has. When you come to work, they ought to say, praise God, he's here. I mean, that ought to be the way it is. People ought to be wanting you to work with them and for them. Whether we're laboring as a Christian or as a citizen or as a clergy, we need to be conscious of and consistent of, uh, consistent in this area, constantly. And our testimony should always be positive there. Never a negative word to say. First Thessalonians 2 9 says, For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preach unto you the gospel of God. The apostle says very simply this, listen, we're laborers, and you know we're laborers because we have labored to help you and to meet your needs and to provide for you and to protect you in this spiritual battle that you're facing even now. Not only was Amaziah a laborer, but the Bible goes on to tell us he was a listener. In verses 6 through 10 of that chapter, chapter 25, it says, He hired also a hundred thousand mighty men of valor out of Israel for a hundred talents of silver. But there came a man of God to him saying, O king... Let not the army of Israel go with thee, for the Lord is not with Israel, to it with all the children of Ephraim. But if thou wilt go, do it, be strong for the battle. God shall make thee fall before the enemy, for God hath power to help and to cast down. And Amaziah said to the man of God, But what shall we do for a hundred talents which I have given to the army of Israel? Boy, I'll tell you what, there's a message right there too. I don't have... I, I, isn't that a terrible thing? And again, I'm not going to get off sidetracked here, but we make an investment in something that is sinful, wrong. And then God says, no, that's enough. And then what do we do? Well, what am I going to do? I've already invested, Lord. If I obey you, I'm going to lose out. You're going to lose? How do you ever lose obeying God? But the king, he's worried about that. Now, again, that goes to a whole other issue. We'll see. He does have some character flaws. But nonetheless... He goes on to say, uh, he goes on to tell him here, let's see, um, uh, the Lord says, I have uh, given the army of Israel. And the man of God answered, the Lord is able to give thee much more than this. Then Amaziah separated them to wit, the army that was come to him out of Ephraim, to go home again. Wherefore, their anger was greatly kindled against Judah, and they returned home in great anger. I mean, here's this Amaziah, and he's hired Israel to fight his battle for him. But God's not pleased with that move. And as a result of that, he sends the man of God to say, Amaziah, you're wrong for using the Israelites. You're wrong because 
They don't please me. And I don't want them in on this thing. The fact is, is that if they fight, they'll get the, the glory for it. I want the glory for it. But you know who listened? Amaziah listened. He was a listener. He was a laborer, but he was a listener. In Proverbs eleven fourteen, the Bible says, Where no counsel is, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Hey, there's nothing degrading, there's nothing demeaning about listening to others. That's a good thing. And may I say, it, it would behoove you to listen earlier than later. Asking the advice of a godly man or woman reveals a sense of maturity, a spirit of humility, and it, it exposes a state of wisdom in your life. It says, hey, there's something about this person that's wise. That's a good thing. A man is a fool that does not take the advice of those that God has placed around him. To sit there and ignore and to reject the impact, or should I say the the, uh, um, influence of your wife even, that's ridiculous. She's your help meet. You ought to listen to her. You ought to hear what she has to say. Of course you're responsible for the the, the, uh, ultimate decision. Of course you'll stand and give an account, sir. But the fact is, you ought to still at least hear them out. You ought to still at least receive it. You ought to realize that God placed him in your life with a purpose. Wasn't by chance, unless all of a sudden you come to the realization that you lied to the preacher when you said, oh, God put us together. I get tired of hearing that one when it's going through divorce proceedings. It bothers me. It really does bother me. I'm about ready to yell right now. That really, really bothers me. Proverbs 24, 6. You say, well, I won't go counsel with you. You ought to counsel with me two years ago and you wouldn't be where you are right now. Do you hear what I said to you? By the way, I'm a little fed up with some of that stuff. It is, it's high time the people of God get off their pride, off their, their, their elevated pride positions here, step down a little bit and say, you know what, things aren't going the way they're supposed to go. And before it turns out to where you're walking out on me or I'm walking out on you, I, I think we better just go get this handled. You know, I think it's about time we stop messing around with this pornography. I think it's time we stop messing around with all this immorality. I think it's time we get play with God. I think it's time we stop playing these games. I'm a little fed up with it. And listen, if you don't think it goes on in this place, you're crazy. You know, I don't know why I know that's the case. Because you're all flesh. We live in a world that is so fleshly and so carnal and so wicked. And you think that it doesn't affect the church today? You don't think it gets into the homes and lives and marriages of a people of God? We're out of our minds if we think we are, are somehow immune to that. You better be careful. You better deal with it while you're dealing with it instead of until somebody else has to deal with it. We've got an epidemic in our country. We've got an epidemic in the church. Immorality and sensual, sensual lifestyle is sick. It's anti-God. It's anti-Bible. And we consider it normal today. Proverbs 24, 6 says, For by wise counsel shalt thou make thy war, and in multitude of counselors there's safety. All too often we fail to listen, don't we? We got all the answers. We got it figured out. You know, one of the raps teenagers gets is that they're always, You never listen to anybody, young man. Get off your high horse and listen to me. I'm your dad. I'm your mom. I know what I'm talking about. I got some experience. We get on our young people. What about mom and dad, though? How are young people supposed to follow in our footsteps if we're not following the law, the Word of God? Amaziah followed his daddy. All I'm saying is we better do what we tell our children they ought to be doing. We wonder why they end up turning 18 and leaving the house and never looking back. Maybe because they see all this inconsistency and all this hypocrisy in our lives and in our homes. I just thought I'd throw it out. We rush headlong into things. And often we fail to listen. There's a story told about Franklin Roosevelt. I've told it before, but I like the story. He often endured long receiving lines at the White House. He complained that no one really paid any attention to what he was saying. And one day, uh, during a reception... He, he, he decided, you know, I'm going to try an experiment. I'm just going to see who's really listening. So to each person who passed down the line, he shook their hands and he murmured, 
I murdered my grandmother this morning. <laughs> I mean, the president, you know? The guest responded with phrases like, marvelous. Keep up the good work, sir. We're proud of you. God bless you, sir. I mean, it was just, you know, it wasn't until almost the very end of the line he, was, he continued this greeting and there was an ambassador there from Bolivia and he, he reached down, he shook his hand and once again he simply just said, you know, I murdered my grandmother this morning. And the ambassador just kind of stood there a moment and then he leaned over and he whispered, I'm sure she had it coming. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's the only guy that was listening the ambassador the only guy listening you know and sadly enough if we'd be honest sometimes we're not listening either but boy I tell you what I do believe as, 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 as mixed up and messed up as ultimately Amaziah was I believe he was a listener and in this case we see that he did listen to the man of God but not only that, but we're going to see that a laborer, listener, yes, but he was a leader. This man was a leader. In verses 11 and 12, the Bible tells us here, it says, And Amaziah strengthened himself and led forth his people and went to the valley of salt and smote the children of Seir 10,000 and other 10,000 left alive. Um, I want to make sure I got the right chapter. I might have slipped somewhere. Verse 11, I'm in the right place. Okay, another 10,000 left alive did the children of Judah carry away captive and brought them under the top of the rock and cast them down from the top of the rock and they, uh, that they all were broken in pieces. Now, again, we know that he hired an army of 100,000. And he tells these Israelites to go back home. And in verse 11, I think I... I, I um, I kind of run right past it. But I want you to notice a phrase. It says, And Amaziah strengthened himself. He strengthened himself. Now again, he sends this 100,000 home. And you've got to believe that everybody was flying high. I mean, we got 100,000 troops from Israel. They are crack troops. I mean to tell you, they are special ops. We are going to destroy the enemy. And all of a sudden, they realize and learn that Amaziah said, no, I've listened to the man of God and I sent him home. Matter of fact, they still got our money too. And I got to believe at that point, there was a lot of upset soldiers. But the Bible tells us here that Amaziah strengthened himself. You know what? If you're going to be a leader, you're going to have to be able to strengthen yourself. You're going to have to be able to get a hold of God on your own. You're going to have to be able to find encouragement from the Lord. If you're always waiting for your buddy or your friend or your neighbor or your husband or your wife to lift you up, to get you out of the doldrums of life, let me tell you, you're probably not going to be a leader. There comes a point in a leader's life where he has to, she has to literally be encouraged and strengthened in the Lord, just like David. This man was a leader. He was a laborer. He was a listener. And boy, I'll tell you what. You've got to be a hard worker to be a great leader. You've got to be a learner and a listener. They say that readers are leaders. Or leaders are readers. You can call it however you want. And that's because they always are seeking to grow personally. They're always trying to professionally and spiritually grow. Amazon. Amazon. <laughs> Amaziah. <laughs> They're always growing too. <laughs> Amaziah would be a great leader today as well. I believe that. And he possessed all the qualities of a great leader. But you know what? Everything isn't always what it appears to be, is it? And we're going to see that he did possess some character flaws that ultimately surfaced. And isn't it funny? Character flaws do seem to surface when? Under fire, under pressure. And unfortunately, they did in his life. So the mistake. We saw the man slightly or quickly. Let's note the mistake. In verse 6 of our passage, the Bible says, He hired also a 100,000 mighty men of valor out of Israel for a 100 talents of silver. But you know, that wasn't a wise move. He got careless. He got careless. You know what he did? He compromised. 
Now, the relationship between Israel and Judah was always strained from the time they had divided. There were always issues there. As a matter of fact, Israel or the northern kingdom, out of all the 19 kings that they had, never had a good king. Do you realize that no matter what they did, no matter who took charge, no matter who sat on the throne, there wasn't one king that was good in Israel. And ever since Jeroboam stepped away from, uh, split that kingdom, the fact was is that when he introduced idolatry to that nation, they continued to walk in idolatry from that day forward. And so God did not want Judah to have anything at all to do with Israel. Boy, I'll tell you what. He got careless. And he got careless because he compromised. He compromised. He listened to the man of God, but a red flag had to be noted immediately. Why would you go to Israel for help when we have God on our side? I'm I'm just going to tell you the truth. You can say whatever you want. I am so happy Hillary Clinton did not get in office. I'm so thrilled. I I have reservations about a lot of the candidates. But I'll tell you this. I was so worried and concerned, and I wasn't worried. I slept at night. Don't misunderstand me. But I could see the handwriting on the wall. It had already started. They they wanted to take away our tax-exempt status, and they wanted to remove our right for free speech. They didn't want us to be able to preach the gospel or the word of God as it's outlined in the word of God. We weren't allowed to to say anything contrary to, you know, that, that went against you know, anybody's beliefs or anybody's feelings, and it'd be hate crimes. And I just couldn't bear the thought of being thrown in jail because somebody decided to ram some doctrine down our our throats and tell the, 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 the United States and all of its inhabitants, guess what, this is an okay lifestyle, and that is all right, and this is good, and even though it's evil, it's good, and although you call that good, it's evil. And boy, I'll tell you, that's bothering me. And you know what, we still got that today. Who are we kidding? Our president's not going to save us. God's going to save us. You know, we got to be careful we don't run to the world to somehow find deliverance. That we don't turn to the, the worldly ways to get back on track. I mean, how sad is it we have a marriage problem and we run to worldly books to try to figure out how to solve our marriage problems and we neglect the book. That's amazing to me. I don't get it. Our children are going astray left and right. But we're going to try to talk to somebody that's living in the world and figure out how to get them back on track. On. Are you kidding me? Well, you've got to quit being so tough on them. And you've got to let them go to the, to the dances. And you've got to let them dress like this. And you've got to let them get involved in other things other than church. It's just not right. And you're going to find you're going to lose them if you keep shoving God down their throat. That's the kind, Would you even listen to that advice? Please tell me. You won't listen to it. Please tell me. But we do listen to it all too often. We run right to the world to get advice how to fix our problems. It's not right. It's called compromise. We get careless. We start compromising. And you know what the next step is? We get corrupted. Once you compromise, you get corrupted. And that's exactly what happened to him in verse 14. The Bible tells us here, Now it came to pass after that Amaziah was come from the slaughter of the Edomites. Now get this. They sent the 100,000 back. He's obeyed the voice of of the man of God. He's done exactly what God told him to do. God gives them the victory. And what does he do now? He's already been subject to compromise. He's already yielded to compromise. Now what happens? He gets corrupted because notice what he does. That Notice. He was come from the slaughter of the Edomites that he brought the gods of the children of Seir and set them up to be his gods and bowed down himself before them and burnt incense unto them. How's that possible? How's it possible that he recognizes that what he did was wrong, that he needs God more than he needs the world or Israelites, but then when he gets the victory, he sets back in his ease and he says, well, I'll just embrace the gods of the very ones we just defeated. Well, their gods didn't even save them. And now you're going to worship them? Isn't that unbelievable? Let 
If you look at the condition of families in the world today as a whole, oh, there's always exceptions to the rule. They're a mess. And yet we long to be like them. I wish I had more money like that. I wish we had could go on vacation six weeks a year. I wish we could do this, and I wish we could do that. I tell you what, I sure wish you know that we could dress like this. I wish we could go here like that. I wish we could involve ourselves in those kind of activities. Man, I'll tell you what, they got the perfect family. We're all bound by the rules and the laws of God. This is crazy. I wish we could watch movies like that without having to worry about looking bad in front of all of my friends. I wish we could listen to that music. I wish we could watch the halftime show at the Super Bowl. I wish we could watch the halftime show at the Super Bowl. I hope you didn't. Of course, I'm sure some of the young men did so they'd know what not to do. I'm joking, guys. Trust me. They're looking at me like, preacher, we're going to hit you, beat you up after the service. Because we didn't watch that junk. You just, your mom and dad did. Okay, thanks. Yeah. Okay, no, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. But you know what? Isn't that sad, though, that we do that? He got corrupted. Not only that... Ultimately, he got caught. Verse 15, look what it says here. Wherefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Amaziah, and he sent unto him a prophet, which said unto him, Why hast thou sought after the gods of their people, which could not deliver their own God out of thine hand? He got caught. Why is it we get surprised when we get caught? You ever get surprised when you get caught? And by the way, everybody seems surprised when they get caught. Because somehow in their pride, they think they'll never get caught. But, you know, the children of Israel at the same place in their lives. Remember, they were at the edge of the promised land. They'd already once been there. The spies had been sent out, 13 of them. They come back, and there's only two of the spies who say, we can take the land. We can beat the people. We can do exactly what God's told us to do. Let's go conquer Canaan. Let's go ahead and occupy the land. The rest said, boy, there's giants in the land. I mean, we're like grasshoppers in their sight, man. I mean, we're little guys. and They're big guys. And, boy, they talked themselves right out of obeying God. They discouraged the brethren. They discouraged the people of God. And before it's over with, they're like, oh, we can't go up to the land. We'll be destroyed. Our children will die. Our families will be wrecked and ruined. We'll be a mess. So what they do? Instead of a two-day journey, they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. That's what they did. Now, 40 years later, here they are on the precipice of taking over the land, walking back into this place and occupying once again. And Moses, of course, is no longer part of this. I mean, Moses is going to be off the scene pretty soon. And we know Moses will not ultimately lead them into the land. Joshua will do that. But Moses is still around. And there's a couple of the tribes that come to him and say, Hey, Moses, listen, we really believe God wants us on this side of the Jordan, not that side. And Moses is like, well, what do you mean? I mean, I mean, I've been hearing from God all along, and I, from what I can tell, he wants us all over here. Well, no, 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 no. I mean, we're looking at that. The land is wonderful here, and we could set up some pens for our, our, our cattle. And we could, and, and, and we, we'd be wonderful right here. We're content to be on this side, Jordan. Moses ultimately consents because God says, go ahead, let him. I don't ever believe for one moment that's where they were supposed to be. I don't believe that. I don't see anywhere in the Bible that's where they should have been. But again, God permitted it. And so he says, hold on, before you do that, though, I want you to understand, before I agree to this, you have to agree to something. The last time your fathers came out of the land and offered a report to the people of God, they discouraged them. And as a result of that discouragement, they would not go into the land that God had promised. So if you want to stay on this side, you're going to have to leave your families. You're going to have to take up a sword and a shield, and you're going to have to go in there and fight anyway. You're going to have to go before the people of God and fight the battle. And when the battle has been won and everyone can settle, then you can go back to your homes. Now, go ahead. Make some temporary places to stay. Leave your wives and your children. But the fact is, is you must go forward and fight. And he goes on to tell him this, if you don't do it, Numbers 32, 23, but if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. Be sure your sin will find you out. Young man, if there's one thing I can guarantee you in life, 
and even more so in eternity. Be sure your sin will find you out. Don't think you have secrets. Because somebody's going to find out. Gentlemen, don't think you have secrets. Be sure your sin will find you out. Sooner or later, it's going to come out. That's just a reality. It's a biblical truth. Someone says, well, I've known people that took sin to the grave. Yeah, well, I promise you, it was found out. God knew it. And I'll tell you what, there are a few from time to time, you, after they die, you go, wow, I didn't realize they were all that messed up. I didn't realize they had all that sin in their life. That is the exception to the rule, even on this earth. But I can guarantee you, your sin will be found out. And God help us not to think somehow we're the exception to the rule. And so, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. We find here, very simply, that this man, this king, made a mistake. He got careless. Because of that, he got corrupted. And then he got caught. But then finally, the message. What do we learn? The Bible says he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a perfect heart. I read a story about a little boy who was extremely rambunctious and very rebellious. His mother reprimanded him over and over again. Stop running, Johnny. Stop running. Just sit in the chair. Johnny just kept running around. He would not listen to his mom. And she, unfortunately, did not take the train-up-a-child class that I offer. Johnny, sit down. Johnny, be quiet. Sit down and be quiet. Finally, finally, after raising her voice, Johnny finally sat down in the chair and he said, Mommy, I just want you to know, I may be sitting on this chair, but I am running in my mind. He was running around in his mind. How important is it to guard our hearts today? I mean, really, to keep them clean and to practice purity. Boy, that's such, such a, a battle today, isn't it? it? It truly is. It's always been a battle, but I think more so now than ever. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 9, the Bible says, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Loved righteousness and hated iniquity. What are some of the elements of a perfect heart then? Amaziah did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a perfect heart. Well, I believe a perfect heart is an earnest heart. It's a sincere heart. Again, he obviously did some right things, but with the wrong motivation many times. You know, it's easy. You know, it's possible that you, you um, come to church and read your Bible and pray, as we said. But do you do it with the right motivation? It's not enough to just follow the rules. Sooner or later, you have to do it with the right heart. Now listen, I'm all about, you know, um, you know, do right till the stars fall. Lee Robertson, you say, do right till the stars fall. I am for that 100%. And, and, I, and I don't even really have a real problem to some degree with someone saying, you know what, until you get your own convictions... Take mine. I, I don't even know they have a problem with that. But sooner or later, you better get your own convictions. Sooner or later, you better get into the Word of God and find out what a biblical principle is. And then, then you better find what a biblical conviction is based on that principle. And then you better be able to find a standard to protect your convictions. And listen, too many times today we're, we're going through the motions. We're doing everything that is supposedly right in the sight of God. And someone says, well, show me where I'm wrong. You can't tell me I'm wrong. And, and you, you look at their light and you say, you know, you, are you praying? Yeah, I'm praying. That's a big one too. Doesn't that bother you? When, when, when people make horrible decisions. Horrible decisions. And you say, that's not, I don't know, brother. That's, are you praying about it? Oh, yes, I've been praying. Oh, that makes it right then. Okay, I guess you know God's will, even though it's not lining up with the Word of God. Oh, I prayed about it, preacher. Oh, I see. Yeah, I prayed about it. Well, that makes it okay then. 
I get it. Yeah, that's cool. Keep going to parties and getting drunk. You pray to that. You're good with that. Well, good for you. I don't see a problem with this, and I don't see a problem with that. Okay. Does God have a problem with it? See, you know what? You can do all the right things in your own mind. So you can make up your own little rules too, by the way. But I'm going to tell you something. I, I, I'm telling you, and I mean this, we have got to be very careful that we have an earnest heart, a sincere heart. You young men, you're wasting your time. Young ladies, you are wasting your time if you're not developing your own convictions in your life right now. You, you, you want to really know why young people do get to the place where they're old enough to walk out houses or leave churches and they leave because they never develop their own convictions. That's the bottom line. If they had their own, they wouldn't leave. You say, well, I, they have to do their own. They can't have mine. No, I want them to have my convictions. But I want them to be their own. Hey, do I think I'm right in where I'm standing on the Word of God? Of course I do. I wouldn't do what I did if I didn't believe it. So why wouldn't I want my children to believe like I believe? To live like I live? To think like I think? To serve like I serve? Why wouldn't I want that? And you ought to want that. But sooner or later, my want is not enough for my kids. My desire and my longing is not enough. My convictions are not enough. My faithfulness is not enough. My church attendance is not enough. My Bible reading is not enough. It has to be theirs. And that's a problem in Amaziah's life, I think. Amaziah didn't have his own convictions. His daddy obviously didn't have a few either. But he needed some convictions. Because the fact was he led him to compromise and then compromise went to corruption and corruption went to him getting caught. A perfect heart is an earnest heart. We cannot respond out of peer pressure or political advancement or personal acceptance. It has to be out of a pure heart of love and a genuine desire to please the Master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only that, but a perfect heart, although it needs to be an earnest heart, it also needs to be an engaged heart. It needs to be a heart that is seeking to please God with our attitude and our actions. I love how the psalmist says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Forever evaluating our motives, forever evaluating our behavior, forever putting it before God and the filter of the Word of God and saying, Okay, is this where God would have me stand? Is this where God, what God would have me do? Is this what God would have me think? Is this how God would have me respond? A perfect heart is an engaged heart. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know you not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates? Boy, examine yourselves. That's what we have to do if we want to have a perfect heart before God. We have got to engage our heart. We've got to be examining ourselves constantly. Proving ourselves whether we be in the faith. And finally, a perfect heart is an enduring heart. An enduring heart. Boy, he started off right, but he didn't finish good, did he? Boy, that's a sad commentary to life. To start off strong and not finish strong. Yeah, I, get, I grow weary when I hear people say things like, you know, Pastor, you'll say, how long have you been at that church? Or how long... You know, and I'll say, well, you know, in 19, you know, 20, it'll be 23 years in March. And people go, wow. You realize that most pastors don't pastor past three or five years? And I think, what? Wouldn't that be sad? I mean, you're lucky to even get to know anybody in three to five years. I mean, really know people. And we're moving on already? That's pretty bad. Now, again, I understand God can move people. But I do believe that it's a problem. We've got to start, but then also finish strong. We can't just start things up and then go, well, somebody else can handle it from here. Man, it takes time. It takes effort. It takes work. Mom and dad, start strong, yes, but finish strong. Listen, don't wait till you're my age and then start saying, you know what, all those rules we followed when we were younger, all those things that we enforced with our children, ah, we're just going to let some of it slide now that we're older. Who cares? I mean, we never used to drink, but it's all right to have wine at Christmas. It's all right to do this. It's all right to do that now. And we can watch certain shows because the kids aren't home anymore. And, 
it's not that big a deal. And, you know, what happened to those? Well, we start strong, but what? Are we going to finish strong? Yeah, we used to use a King James Bible, but why, do, why use a King James? I mean, aren't they all pretty good after all? No. No, no, they're not. No. Oh, we add standards and all, but we don't need all that now. Well, yeah, you do. I'm just, I, we need this. A perfect heart is an enduring heart. It starts off and it finishes strong. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. Second John 1.8, look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. 1 John 2.28, and now, little children, abide in him that when he shall appear, we may be confident and not be ashamed before him at his coming. I wonder, could Amaziah, could it be that Amaziah did not have a perfect heart because he, he overlooked sin that he could have either condemned or, in his case, even cast down? He could have said, no more high places. We're not going to allow that in Israel or in Judah. We're not going to permit that here. We're not going to permit that under my watch. Did a lot of the right things, but not with a perfect heart. Why do you do what you do? Why, why, why do you think what you think? Well, we've got to make sure we have a perfect heart. Because just doing the right things isn't enough. You've got to be doing them for the right reason. Because see, it doesn't matter how this, everyone here sees us. In the end, there's a chronicle view. A heavenly view. And God sees past the do's. He sees past what we do to our heart. Amaziah did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a perfect heart. If our life was laid before God and this people today, would it be said of us, he or she did that which was right in the sight of the Lord with a perfect heart? Or like Amaziah, would it have to say, well, they did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a perfect heart. Which is it today? Father, we come to you.